Acts 2 shows the first conversation on the idea of people selling possessions. Don't move past that too fast. Because in first century culture, much like today, nobody wanted to give anything away. In fact, the idea of giving somebody else my stuff when they haven't earned it and don't deserve it was unthought of. But isn't that what salvation is? Isn't that what Jesus did for me and for you? Didn't he give us something we had not earned, nor had we deserved? But because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And because his love for us was so strong, he gave us salvation. Is anybody here today in this house glad that you have the power of salvation over your life? See, this is the model of Christ. And Jesus began to live out this life that was different his followers the same way, and the world began to shift upside down. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Here's a story of a man named Barnabas. Here we go, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had a, all things in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of these things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had a need. Here we go in this story. People are selling stuff off. The Holy Spirit has fallen. They're full of the Spirit of God. They have a a recognition of the person of Christ, his resurrection, his death, what he's done for them, this new message of the gospel. And they begin to get rid of stuff and begin to help others in need. Verse 36, and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we see in the book of Acts this picture of a life that is guided by the power of the Holy Spirit, how to live that life every day. I want to ask you a question today. Would you today be prepared to let the Spirit of God lead your life? Are you open to that? And I want you to think about that. Don't just give me the typical church response because I can tell you this, when the Spirit is leading your life, you'll find yourself in places that extend beyond your own comfort zone. You you will find yourself in a place in which you're going, what? I can't do that. And in fact, I would argue that you've probably before felt the leading of the Spirit. And probably, as I have at times, pushed back at that and thought, I cannot do that. I felt the Spirit say, Marty, go here and talk to this person. I thought, "Ah, I'm not doing that. I I felt the Spirit of God say, give this amount. And I thought, "I, I can't do that. And maybe like me at times you've done that. Also, there have been times you felt that voice and you responded and God came through on your behalf because of your obedience. What we begin to see in this book of Acts is this spirit-empowered way of living out your life that begins to change the landscape. We also see here that Acts teaches each one of us how to live together in meaningful community. 
It's not just about me, it's about we. It's a collective thing. And we begin to see here this picture that they had everything in common. They begin to sell stuff off and take care of those who had needs. Now, the book of Acts is full of some amazing miracles, healings in Acts 3. Miraculous throughout the book of Acts, a spirit falling in Acts 2. But I would argue that this right here is a miracle by itself. The idea that people are so full of the Spirit of God that they begin to sell their possessions and give the resource to the apostles to take care of those who have needs, I would argue is a significant miracle because most of us today, as in their day, most of us like our stuff. Who here in the house today, who likes your stuff? Put your hand up high. I like my stuff. Who, who likes to have a decent vehicle and a, and a house and clothes and money in the bank? And I mean, who? I mean, all of us. So the idea that all of a sudden that begins to shift for me and it doesn't mean what it used to mean to me, to me is a very significant miracle. And the book of Acts shows us this. All of a sudden, they're so empowered by the Holy Spirit that they begin to live life differently. Charity was one of the pillars of the life of Christ. In fact, in the scripture, it is clear that when you came into this Jesus movement, which is in the, the picture of Acts and Luke's gospel, when you came into this, you were a generous person. This was one of the marks to get in this community because why? Because Jesus was generous and he was the living example. Just think about this, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. The entirety of our faith begins with a giving God. I don't know about you, but I thank God today that he gave his son. I thank Jesus that he gave his life. And I thank the spirit that he gives us power to live every day of our journey. So giving then in charity is a pillar of the life of Christ, and it is clearly an attribute of the early church, and that should be our attribute today. Now, let me just help you. Don't panic. There will not be an offering at the end of this message. That's not my motive at all. I just want to show you what a early church looked like and what they did when the Spirit filled them up so much. And I also want to contrast two different stories that show the picture of a person that gave everything versus those that just gave something. See, Acts gives us this picture of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I would think that giving your possessions is pretty extraordinary. And they did this because they're empowered by the Spirit of God. See, one of the traits of the early church was this willful generosity. We don't see any sermon in Acts in which they do a message series on giving, and that's why Barnabas sold and gave. Literally, this was a response because what the Spirit did in his life. You could say it this way, that biblical generosity is a response and not just a whim. In fact, I would argue that you should never give on a whim but you should always give because you're overflowing with the Spirit of God. In fact, to go a little deep with that, it is never my goal as your pastor to, to try to pull money out of you. That, that, that is not what I do. I'm not a salesman. I'm not here to get you to sign this line for the next 12 months. That's not what I do. 
What I'm here to do is preach the word of God, let the spirit fill you up so much that you are sitting on G, waiting on O, and you can't wait to give because all God has done for you. How can I ever pay back God for all he's done for me? All his blessing, all his goodness, my salvation, my everything goes back to him. As a parent, ever have that moment in which one of your kids kind of gave you the shrug off or gave you kind of an indirect no when you asked them to do something? You ever have that? And you have that moment in which you think to yourself, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> and you have that moment where you think, I brought you in, I can take you back out just as easily. And you have that moment thinking, if, I wasn't for, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be on the earth. And if you were on the earth, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have any food. You wouldn't have any shelter. You're, you're sitting at my table eating the food that I paid for, driving the car that I purchased, using the gas money. I, it's all about, if it wasn't for me, you would be nothing. I wonder if God ever looks at us and goes, if it wasn't for me, you would be nothing. Because, you know, without him, we are literally nothing. Everything in our life is a gift to us from God. So we understand that in this early church, this giving concept, this, this generous spirit was part of this overflow of the spirit of God within them. When you look at Acts, we see that when the spirit fills our hearts, our hearts will indeed overflow. But we also see a clear picture that our relationship with God, while this definitely personal, it's also lived out amongst the community. And that's where we come together as a family and we begin to make an impact, not just here, but across the globe. Our, our, our weekend a few weeks ago about missions giving was not just about Chicago, but about the entire world, reaching people we'll never see or talk to. And because God has blessed us, we can now give outside of ourselves. Barnabas is a great example of God's grace, God's generosity, sharing, caring, unity, and so much more. Now, there's a second story. Go to Acts chapter 5. And let's look at a second story that looks similar at the front. And when you read this, one of the great things to do when you read the Bible is try to find a contrast or to try to find differences in a same story. And when we start this story, you're going to have a sense that this is the same conversation, but it takes a turn with one key word. The key word is self. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Here we go. Verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Sounds the same so far, doesn't it? And kept back part of his proceeds. Now it's different. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, but Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Spirit. And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Watch verse 4 close because this gives us a bigger picture on the entire story. He said, while it would remain, was it not your own? In other words, it was already yours. After it sold, was it not in your own control? So while you owned it, it was yours. When you sold it, the proceeds were now yours. He says this, why have you conceived this thing in your heart that you have not lied to men, but to who? God. I keep reading the text here. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. 
So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now here we have an amazing story. This starts out looking just like the Barnabas conversation. But the pivot here is that Barnabas thought of others where Ananias thought of himself. But they both brought and gave, but one gave all, the other gave part, gave some. Now what's unique in this story, and we saw it back in verse 4, is that Barnabas didn't have to give anything, but he gave everything. Ananias didn't have to give anything either. Again, there was no instruction here to give. There was no mandate to sell off. What was happening is the Holy Spirit was so overflowing in their life that they couldn't help but to give something back. But the one thing Ananias couldn't do is he couldn't act like he was given everything when he was only given something. Let's go back to the text. Verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in. My guess is he didn't come back home. She went looking for him. Not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her and said, tell me, whether you sold the land for this much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, watch this, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Again, I love verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church, upon all those who heard these things. I would say so. If people start falling over dead, everyone else gets nervous. When you look at these two texts, it's clear that Barnabas... And Ananias and Sapphira were all part of the same movement. They were all in this early church. They were all experiencing this new Jesus conversation. They were all learning every day about this new way of life. The Holy Spirit has fallen down. They're in this place of generosity and this flow, while not an instruction, it was definitely part of response to what the Spirit was doing in their life. See, generosity is simply part of spiritual transformation. Let me give you another story. Don't turn, just listen. There's a man named Zacchaeus in the Bible. Have you heard of Zacchaeus before? He was a short tax guy that climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. You know this conversation? And when he met Jesus, he came down, and what did he say he was going to do? He said, I'm going to give back with interest what I've wrongly taken. And then Jesus said, Man, surely salvation has come to this house. See, there is a direct link to a transformed heart and a generous life. And you can't separate the two. And if generosity is a challenge, then the heart should be revisited. Because when this heart fills up with the Spirit of God, I cannot wait to give outside myself because I can recall the goodness of God in my life. I love what Psalm says, Psalms chapter 116, I think it is. It says, what can I render the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Is there anything too much for God to ask of me? When I think of all God has done for me, when I think of his goodness, his favor, his love, his forgiveness, is there any 
anything too much for me to give back to God? And the answer is absolutely not. The question for us today is are we falling in the trap of Ananias and Sapphira or are we living the pattern of Barnabas? Two different stories. Both start out the same, yet they take an immediate turn. Now, again, I want to clarify. They didn't have to give anything. In fact, would have been better off to keep it all. Would have been better off to say, "Uh, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not giving nothing. Not a problem. There's no press for this. But because the early church was so focused on authenticity in this new movement, the one thing they couldn't do was act like they were giving everything when they were only giving something. They were caught in the tension between all and almost. And today I want to challenge you, Calvary family, those in the house and those watching online, be certain that you're not lying to yourself about what you're giving back to God. Uh, It's unique because like many of us, we see ourselves in both stories. There's been times in life in which I've seen myself as a Barnabas and times I've seen myself as kind of a self-loathing, oh God, I'm doing everything for you. And the spirit kind of comes back and goes, really, are you? Oh, but God, you know, I, I go to church twice a month. That's a lot of my time. Really? Is that a lot of time? Because who gave you all your time? Oh, I, you know, I, I put cash in the bucket when it comes by or I drop it at the door and I go out or I, I leave a courtesy tip if the sermon's good and the worship's great, I'll leave a little extra. God, I'm doing so much for you. Are you, are you really? When you think of what he has done, is there anything too much for us to do back for God? And that's the spirit of this early church. And the apostles and the spirit of God were focused on authenticity in the first church. What's unique to me about this story of Ananias and Sapphira is they were more concerned with what people thought about them than what God knew about them. It is easy for us to fall in the trap of being more focused on what someone thinks about us than what God truly knows about us. God doesn't have a thought that he's not certain of about you. We look at people and we think certain things. But God knows everything. And I want to challenge you today that in your spiritual pursuit, be certain that you're not lying to yourself about all you're doing for God. God, I serve you. God, I serve, I serve once a month at the church. Or I want an outreach here or there. I'm giving so much of myself to the church and to Jesus. Really? Are you sure? Because think about the tension here. And think about the potential all of us have to be caught in this middle point between all and almost. See, the church was birthing on this clarity of who Jesus was. This church was forming on the idea of honesty about who they were. And the tension we see in this story versus our life today is the same difficulty. They wanted the credit, they wanted the prestige, but without the sacrifice and without the inconvenience. 
They wanted to look like everybody else. Oh, we're giving too. Oh, we're participating. This movement's great. Jesus saved me. The spirits fill me. Here's my stuff, most of it. Where the movement was based upon he gave everything, I'm going to give everything. Remember this, we have a Savior who went all in, not almost in. How much more should we go all into because of what he's done for us? Mark Batterson, man out of this church, pastor in Washington, D.C., and a friend of ours and a friend of mine, in his book, All In, he says it this way. He says, we are too Christian to enjoy sin and too sinful to enjoy Christ. We've got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough to be transformed. We've got just enough to know what we should do, but we don't have enough to totally be transformed into who we should become. And what you see in this first church conversation is the early church was very focused on authenticity. The Spirit brought people together. They brought them together for the purpose of the community of believers and to impact those around. And this is the power of the Spirit of God. It's easy for us today to want to belong to the body of Christ without becoming like Christ. It's easy for us to want to hold on to him and hold on to ourselves at the same time. We want to identify with Christ yet have our own identity as well. And it simply doesn't work that way. I know you're thinking, Marty, this is not a very encouraging message. I was hoping to be encouraged today. Well, I want to encourage you to go all in because Jesus went all in and you should go all in too. Stop telling yourself you're doing more for God than you are and start being who you say you really are in the eyes of God and those around you as well. Live an authentic life. Live a life of giving that goes beyond yourself. Can you imagine coming to the place in which the Spirit of God so fills your life that you're bubbling with joy, generosity, grace, mercy, preaching the gospel, teaching what you've been taught. The Spirit of God so fills you up that like a cup that overflows, it has nowhere else to go but outside yourself. Don't give out of your deficit. Give out of your overflow. Let the Spirit of God fill your life. And as he fills your life up, I promise you this, when the Spirit fills you, he will bubble over through you because you cannot contain the Spirit of God within you. You have to get outside yourself. And I pray for you today in this house and online that the Spirit of God so fills your life that you are are bubbling with the joy of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. As the Spirit fills you up, he begins to pour you out, and that begins to change the world around you. That's how the Spirit works in the book of Acts.